Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. And we are on Wednesday evenings working our way uh, through the book of Psalms. We come tonight to chapter number 60, and uh, we are looking forward to these 12 uh, verses, and perhaps these 12 verses might uh, even seem relatively new to you. Uh, perhaps you have not uh, spent much time in this psalm before. It's not one of the more famous of the psalms, but it is a psalm in which there is much to learn. In fact, if you found your place there in the middle of the Bible, uh, would you stand with me if you're willing and able, out of respect for the reading of God's Word, Psalms chapter 60. So across the top of the page, you're looking for the name Psalm, and then you're looking for big number 60. That's what we call chapter, okay? So Psalms, and then chapter 60. If you don't have your Bible with you this evening, there should be one in the back of the seat uh, near or, or around you, and we'd want you to pick that up and follow along with us. And in fact, if you don't have a Bible at all, that would be our gift to you. We want you to take that with you. And uh, man, we believe there's nothing more important than having a copy of God's Word in your hand. So we want you to have that as our gift to you. We come tonight, Psalms chapter 60, verse number 1, down to verse number 12. Psalm 60, verse 1, down to verse 12. This is from David. You, you learn that. In, in, the, uh, in the superscript above verse number one, and David gives us a little uh, insight into why he wrote this psalm or the reason for the psalm, that every psalm has these. Some of them do, some of them don't, uh, but this one does. And in fact, this has the largest superscript of any psalm you, you'll find in Psalm number 60. They're not normally this long, but this one is a rather lengthy one. David is very specific about the events of which he is writing about. So verse number one is where we begin for our reading. Oh God, that's a, that's a great way to start a psalm, isn't it, right? Let's go right to God. Oh God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. So, O oh, turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth, Selah. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me. God hath spoken in his holiness, and I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem, meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the strength of my hand, Judah is my lawgiver, Moab is my washpot, over Edom will I cast out my shoe, Philistia, triumph thou because of me. So who will bring me into a strong city, and who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O God, which hath cast us off, and thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies, give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man, 
And through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. If there's a key verse in the entire chapter, it's verse number 12. Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Our Heavenly Father, use your word in our lives this evening. Father, teach us great truths from your word. Show us what this psalm means for us, that we might be helped in our living. And in Jesus' name we pray. All the church said together, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The Christian life is not a constant stream of successes. There are seasons, and there have been seasons in my life, there have been moments where there has been deep and difficult sorrow, where there have been dark seasons of discouragement. This is not unique for me. This is not unique for the psalmist David. This is what every Christian experiences. A season of struggle, a season of victory, a season of struggle, a season of victory. The Christian life is not a constant stream of success. Everyone experiences setbacks in their Christian journey and in their Christian growth. If you don't believe me, let's just take a poll this evening. How many of you have ever had a season of discouragement in your life? Would you raise your hand? Look around the room, right? All these bad people, right? That's what we think. Everyone has seasons of discouragement. Everyone faces seasons of doubt. And yet, man, how, how surprised we are to find ourselves in conflict. How surprised we are to find ourselves with a fear or a doubt or a frustration. The Bible teaches us that when we are faithful over a few things, that God will make us ruler over many. Some people understand that verse as if God were to give you one candy bar, you should immediately eat it and God will give you two candy bars, right? Now, this is not the way that God intends for us to understand the work that he's doing in our life. And better to understand God's work in our life. He who is faithful over a few things will be made ruler over many. Better to understand it as, man, he who is faithful to do the work of a third grader passes and is promoted out of third grade so he can take the test of fourth grade. And he who is faithful and diligent to do the work of a fourth grader is promoted out of fourth grade in order to do the work of a fifth grader. And he who is faithful and diligent to do the work of a fifth grader is promoted to what? The answer is sixth grade, okay, just so you know. He's he promoted to sixth grade, right? And unfortunately for the third graders, there's a long way to go, isn't there, right? I thought for the illustration of, of getting some tests that our third graders take and seeing who in the room is as smart as a third grader. But I was, I was nervous that perhaps we might not be able to pass the material, so I didn't do that. Right? Just, just the desk will suffice. The, the Christian life is better understood as, man, learning to take 
and, and learning to pass small tests, small trials in order to be promoted to the next grade and then that grade providing tests and trials and promoted to the next grade and then that grade passing, uh, providing tests and trials and then promoted to the next thing. He who is faithful over a few things will be made ruler over many. David was faithful as a shepherd. He solved the problem of the lion and the bear. And because David was faithful as a shepherd and solved the problems of lions and bears, he was promoted to a soldier. And David was faithful as a soldier. He solved the problem of Goliath. Is there not a cause? And down into the valley of Elah he went. And because he was faithful as a soldier, he was promoted to be a commander. And David was faithful as a commander. He solved the problems of leading men into battle. He accomplished great military victories on behalf of Israel and Saul. And because of this, David was promoted. David became king. And it's easy to think that once David became king, that he would say, where are my two chocolate candy bars, right? I finally arrived. No more test. No more struggle. No more problems. And yet what David found was that the promotion to be king came with kingdom problems. This is what the verse means. He who is faithful in little will be given much. That in the Christian life, there, are, there is a constant there is not, rather, a constant stream of success, but there is a, a constant stream of testing and trials in order that we might be proven faithful. And when we are faithful in a few, when we are faithful over a little, God will see to it that we are faithful and that we are given much. The events of Psalm 60 are found in 2 Samuel chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10. You know that because of the subscript. So if you look up the specific battles that David is talking about, you'll find them there. 2 Samuel 8, 1 Chronicles 18. And what those passages tell us about is that David is a newly appointed king. And David, as a newly appointed king, has inherited a royal mess. How many of you know that Saul was not a good king, right? And so Saul has left David this mess. David is uh, encountering this, this military conflict in the northern part of Israel where he's doing battle with the Philistines, the arch enemies of the Israelites. And while he is battling in the northern part of Israel, Edom has attacked Israel from the southern border. And so David has divided his armies, and he's sent Joab, his commander-in-chief, he's sent Joab and part of his army to take on the Edomites, and David has kept the other part of his army in the north, and he is battling uh, the Philistines, and they are losing. And yet, if you read the accounts of 2 Samuel 8, 9, 10, you read 1 Chronicles 18, Man, it seems as if there's nothing but victory. What we know about 
the bat or the, the promises of First Samuel chapter number First uh, Samuel chapter number seven is where God has promised to David that his kingdom will be a kingdom that will never cease to reign. First Samuel seven is where God makes this Davidic promise, right? The Davidic covenant where he tells David that his kingdom will be an eternal one and it will in fact include the Messiah. So 2 Samuel 7, the promise, 2 Samuel 8, the battle, 2 Samuel 9 and 10, the victories. And if you just read those texts as they lay in 2 Samuel, what it appears is it appears as if God makes a promise, David goes and does war, there's no defeat, there's no struggle, there's no discouragement. It's just strength to strength, victory to victory, conquest to conquest. No discouragement, no doubt, no challenge, only chocolate. That's all he gets, only chocolates. But Psalms 60 teaches us that there's actually more to the story, isn't there? That even in a time of unprecedented blessing and even in a time of unwavering promises, there are defeats. There are struggles. There is conflict. And this is really like the, the singular thought of Psalms chapter 60, that even in victory, there are defeats along the way. That even in victory, there is struggle along the way. That even in strength, there are conflicts all along the way. And that is a snapshot, if you will, of what the Christian life looks like. Sometimes it's three steps forward, two steps back, right? Three steps forward, four steps back. Yeah, three steps forward, one step back. How many of you have ever, have ever experienced that in your Christian growth, right? And yet, the result is divine progress, even though the process might be discouraging. The result is divine progress, even though the process might be discouraging. So we'll see it lay in the text in, in three ways. Number one, there's a hard reality that David must face. That's really verse number one, verse number two, and verse number three. There was a hard reality. When David came to the throne in 1 Chronicles 11, it teaches us that the kingdom was divided. That there was almost immediately for David battling and, 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 and sabotage and, and undermining and backbiting and, and, and legitimate real war with the Philistines. Later on, the Moabites. Later on, the Edomites. Right? And there's this real struggle for David. Yet David assumed the throne, and you'll remember this, after a time where King Saul had all the priests of God murdered. He, he, he took them all out of the temple. He took them all out of the, of the tabernacle and he had them all slain because none of them were saying good things about him. And so all the priests are, are murdered. The, the, the kingdom is in upheaval. The military strength of Israel had been divided and contemptible men had been appointed to office. This is the error in which David takes the throne. 
And this causes David to look over the scene of Israel and say that God has cast Israel away. He's thrown them to the side. He's put them off like they were a dirty garment. That's the image given. Look at it in verse number one. Oh God, thou hast cast us off. You, you've put us to the side. Because Israel had made God sick in a way. Look at it, verse number one. Oh God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. There was a sense in which Israel had displeased the Lord. The things that Israel had done. The decisions that Israel's kings had made. The choices that Israel's leaders were, 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 that they were, that they were making or choosing or deciding. These were and did in fact bring a sense of displeasure from God. So that Israel made God sick, caused God to cast them aside in David's estimate. So there's a sense of displeasure. You say, Pastor, what's the hard reality? The hard reality that David faced was that there was a displeasure from God. Worse than defeat was the sense that Israel had displeased the Lord. Worse than defeat was the sense that God was displeased with them. In fact, it is God himself who is displeased. You'll notice the pronouns in verse 1, 2, and 3. Thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. Verse number two, thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Verse number three, thou hast showed thy people a hard thing. Well, all the pronouns are, 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 are not emphatic in the verses, but they are at least embedded in the verses, and they're, 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 they're leading David in his assessment of what's taking place to understand that the hard things that Israel is experiencing, the difficulty that Israel is going through, is not because of the Philistines. It's not because of the Edomites. It's not because of this instrument or that instrument. The hard things that Israel is going through is a direct result of the displeasure that they have brought God. This is in line with other people in the Bible who understand how God works in our lives this way. You remember Job's understanding? They come to Job and ask Job, why is everything going so bad for you? Was it the whirlwind? Was it, these, was it these raiders who came down from the north? They killed your children. They took out your cattle. They, they, was it the whirlwind? Was it these raiders, these, these pirates, these pillagers? Was it them, Job? Are you mad at them? Did you do something to them? And do you remember Job's response? I mean, it's the Lord that giveth, and it's the Lord that taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And David is saying the same thing. It's God who gives. It's God who takes away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. There are times in all of our lives where we wonder what God is doing. And David, David shows us the mature Christian response to the difficult seasons of our lives. That nothing in our life happens by accident. Nothing in our life happens by coincidence. That with God, all things work together for good to them that love Him. Including our losses. 
See, all the horizontal difficulties, though they are difficult, though they are a hard reality for David to, to, to accept, but all of the horizontal difficulties David sees as a function because of the displeasure that they had brought to God. Now, how different is David's thinking than ours? We, we always want to go back and we want to blame things. We want to blame it on these instruments. We want to blame it on these instrumental causes. We want to blame it on certain circumstances. Well, if I could have just got this. Well, if, if he would have just done that. Well, if they would have just gone here. Well, if she would have just done this, then my life wouldn't be the way that it is. Well, if we would have done done this, been there, did that, wouldn't have said, if, if all of these circumstances would have been different for me, well then how much better would my life be? And we do not attribute them to God. We focus solely on the instrument. For us, it is the whirlwind. It is the pirates and pillagers. But for David, for Job, for mature Christians, they recognize that with God, all things work together for good. David sees straight through all these circumstantial events. David says the issue is not one of military might. The issue is not one of who's in office or not. The issue is not one of a political sense. The, the issue is not one of a social sense. The issue is a spiritual issue and that this is the work that God is doing in our lives because of his displeasure with us. This does not mean that God is displeased with every Israelite. In fact, verse number four indicates that there are some that do fear the Lord, that they are obedient to the Lord. And while there are some who fear the Lord in verse number four, it, the text makes clear that there are those, and obviously the majority, that did not fear the Lord. There was a lack of obedience to the Lord, and their lack of obedience, their lack of fear, has caused the entire nation to experience the displeasure of God. And how are they experiencing the dis displeasure of God? Through these said circumstances, through these battles, these struggles, these attacks from without. You say, Pastor, what is the displeasure then? Well, notice the images that David gives, the, the metaphors, they, they kind of jump off the page. It's, it is, in fact, what is emphatic from the, verse, the first three verses. You probably already saw them. Look at verse number two. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it, for it shaketh, verse number two. Look at, look at verse number three. For thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. So David uses two very powerful images to illustrate how God had allowed said circumstances because of the displeasure that he had with him. He says a couple things. He, he, he scattered, he shook. He, the earth shaketh. So David's saying, you shook our land. There was this, this sense of this earthquake that took place. David is saying to God, you, you were like the earthquake in that you shook us to the very core at the very foundation. There's this shaking, there's this confusion, there's this lack of stability, what we would understand as instability. Never really knowing if, never really sure about and yet there's also another image David gives, verse number three, thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. There's a sense of confusion. 
Confusion reigned. There's no sense of purpose. They were stumbling through life. Why were they stumbling through life? Because they had no sense of purpose. They had no direction. Their things were shaky. There was no stability. Never really knowing about, never really being sure of, never really confident in. This is the New Testament idea of the blind leading the blind. And when the blind lead the blind, you're never going to get very far. And because the blind were leading the blind, life was hard. This is the hard reality that they must face. You say, well, why is it so disorienting for them? There's a sense of displeasure. There's a sense of disorientation. Why is there this disorientation? Well, you know why. Because God is displeased. We've talked about this before, that God's displeasure and in, in the choices that the leaders of Israel were making, in God's displeasure, he pulls his hand, removes his presence from them. He casts them far off. And that's this, that God pushes them away. He keeps them at an arm's length. There's, there's no closeness. There's no guidance. There's no light given. There's no wisdom found. Why? Because they've displeased the Lord. There's this sense of disorientation that's taking place. Things are unstable. Things are unsecure. Things are confusing. It's, it's troublesome. Nobody really knows what direction we're really headed anymore. You ever face that in your life? And do you remember why all of this happens? Because we want a king like all the nations around us. And God says, I'm your king. No, but we want a king we can see. I'm your king. Yeah, but we want a king we can touch. I'm your king. Yeah, but we want a king we can go to. Give us a king. Give us a king. And the people chose a king. And King Saul. And in choosing Saul, they rejected God. And now God giving them over to their own pleasure... And what did Saul do for them except divide them? What did Saul do for them except scatter them? What did Saul do for them except execute their priests? What did Saul do for them? Do you, do you understand? This is God giving the children of Israel their own way. You think you know better than I do? Well, here's Saul. And now here's David evaluating the situation. And David says this is and this was a thing that displeased the Lord. And this, this displeasure is working out in our lives through instability and through confusion and, and through stumbling and lack of purpose and no direction. This is the way it's playing out for Israel. Buried in this hard reality is David's sense of dependence. Tucked away in the beginning three verses, you'll see, in fact, two requests from David to God. Look what he says in verse number one, O turn thyself to us again. And then look at verse number two, heal the branches thereof. His two requests, turn yourself to us and heal us. So God, bring us back. Stop walking away from us and turn around and bring us to yourself. And in so doing, we will be healed. We will be restored. We will be mended. Please, Lord, help us. This is David's plea. I think it's a, a great time to ask the question, where do you turn when life gets tough? Where do you turn when there's a sense of insecurity and instability? Where do you go when you lack purpose? Where do you go when there's 
a sense of displeasure, David goes to God. And in going to God, David is given spiritual eyes to see spiritual things. One might be tempted to say, well, no, David's problem was that their, their army wasn't big enough. No, no, David's problem was that the country was too far spread out. No, no, David's problem was that Israel didn't have the economic might that it needed in order to generate, generate weapons. No, no, Israel's problem was, in, one might be tempted to say this, and yet David, with spiritual eyes, recognizes that this disorientation is because God is displeased, and God is displeased. Why? Because Israel has been disobedient to God. So David, as the king of Israel, announces dependence on God. I would urge you, when you go through seasons of your life where you lack direction, where there's confusion, where you need, where you need a sense of purpose, you should get on your knees and you should ask the Lord, is there anything in my life, is there a sin in my life between me and you? Or is there, is there something that's causing, is, is there something in my heart or life that's causing there to be displeasure? Spurgeon offers this insight to this idea. He says, to be cast off by God is the worst calamity that can befall a man or a people. But the worst form of being cast off is when that people is not aware of having been cast off. Well, that's, that's a powerful truth. The worst thing that can happen to us is that God would be displeased with us and cast us off. But worse than just being cast off is when you or I do not have a spiritual discernment to see that God has removed his hand from us. You say, Pastor, what's the, what's the way out of that disaster? Well, the way out of a disaster like that is confession before the Lord and dependence on the Lord. Confession before the Lord and dependence on the Lord. And this is really what's happening in this. Oh, turn thyself to us again. Verse number one. Verse number two. Heal the branches thereof. And then look, look at verse number three. For thou hast showed, that's an interesting word, isn't it? For thou hast showed thy people hard things, which is this idea of, God, you have given to us hard things. David said, God, you gave us the gift of difficulty so that we would come back to you. And this is what he talks about in Psalms 119. It was good for me to be afflicted that I might... Learn the statutes of the Lord my God. Well, how differently do we think of that in our day and age? It's not good to be afflicted. I don't want God to give me hard things. I want God to give me chocolate candy bars, right? I ate my one candy bar, so I was faithful with one, so now give me two. And yet, here's what David is saying. God has given us difficult, hard things. Man, we passed third grade, now we're into fourth grade. And we, we passed fourth grade, now we're into fifth grade. It's a hard reality. Number two, there's a hopeful reminder. This is really verse four down to verse number eight. David's tone changes in the psalm. David says there's good reason to believe that even though we are in a hard reality, our hard reality is not our finality. Our hard reality is not the end of all things. Look at verse number four. For thou hast given a banner to them that 
fear thee that it may be displayed because of truth. Man, those that fear, the, those that fear God, God gives them a banner. But what is a banner? What is this idea of God giving someone a banner and not just a banner, but a banner of truth? Well, banner in this sense is not like that thing that's hanging there, okay? Banner in this sense is more what we would understand as a flag. So he's saying God has given to us a banner, the star-spangled banner. That star-spangled flag. David is saying God has given to us a flag, a banner. What did they do with the, with the banner? What did they do with the flag in their days? Where does the, where does the banner belong? Well, it belongs on the end of a pole, high in the sky. In the hands of the bravest man in the entire army, and he runs out in front of the army, and the banner, the flag, becomes a rallying point for all the other soldiers to head to, to run toward. So this man would run way out in front when the horns were sounded, the battle began. This man would go running, and there was a host of other soldiers around. They were always defending the flag and fighting off, and they were trying to get to the top of that hill and they're going to plant that flag there so everyone knew, man, run to that flag, run to that banner. And that's the same idea happening here. But thou hast given a banner, a flag, to who? To them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of truth. So David is saying there is hope found. In the middle of the battle, there is hope found. In the middle of the battle, there's a flag waved. In the middle of the battle, there is and there can be strength that it may, that it may be displayed because of truth. David says God gives strength to those who fear him. Solomon, David's son, would later write in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is... The beginning of wisdom. And what did, how did David just describe his situation? David just described his situation as this, man, this upheaval, this confusion, this instability, this insecurity, this shaking, man, this, this, this lack of, of clear direction. Man, the fear of the Lord is, man, this, this wisdom for you and for me. It's available. There is wisdom available that we don't have to, we have to wander through life blind leading the blind, but there is wisdom given, direction given. And where? In the fear of the Lord. People who fear God are people who respect Him. They reverence Him. They honor Him. They take Him seriously. When you are discouraged, when you're disoriented, when you're confused, when you're staggering and stumbling through life, run to that which has stood the test of time. What has stood the test of time? God. Exodus chapter 17, Moses said, the Lord is my banner. Do you remember that? The Lord is my banner. He's my flag. David tied to that same image. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my flag. In seasons of discouragement, in times of doubt, in times of difficulty and struggle, where do we look to? Who do we run to? What's the rallying point? God is the rallying point for the believer. The Lord is my strength, David says. Jeremiah, Nehemiah says, man, the Lord is my joy, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. This is what God does for those who fear him. God raises a banner. 
God raises a flag. And that flag becomes the rallying point for the believer. That flag, notice this, that flag is displayed. Do you see this? Verse number four. For thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed. Something done with the flag. The banner is to be displayed. We need to rally around the banner that God has given to you. God has given to me. God has not just given us the banner of the flag. God has also given us the banner of himself, but God has also given us a different banner in the New Testament. God has given us the banner of the church. The church is a rallying point. Do you remember what, what, what the writers of the New Testament say about the church? It is the pillar and the ground of truth. Look what David says here. David says, Thou hast given them a banner, a flag, a rallying point to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of truth. Hope is found in God, first. Second, hope is found in the Word of God. Look, look at verse number look at verse number five. Thy beloved, David's name means beloved, so David is talking of himself. So he's saying, that thy beloved, so that, that you, this is what you did for me, that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me. He's saying, God, you delivered me, you saved me, and you heard me. Speaking of himself in that sense, verse number eight. So God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice and divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth, and, and Gilead is mine, and Manasseh is mine, and, 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 and Ephraim is mine, is, is also the strength of my head, and Judah is my lawgiver. And Mo, David, David is talking about all the different places where there was conflict happening. He's talking about all the different places where conflict is happening, and he's saying, in these areas, in these regions, on all these fronts, on all these battlefields where we are going through struggle, where we are going through battles, where we are going through difficulties, in all of these regions, Shechem and Manasseh and Gilead and Ephraim and, and Moab and Edom and, and, and Philistia, in all of these cities we will receive, we will be victorious. David is saying this is what God has spoken. The, the exaltation that David goes through in verse number 6, 7, and 8, hear me on this, has not yet happened. They're not victorious in Edom yet. They're not victorious with, in Philistia yet. They're not victorious in Gilead yet. They're not victorious in Manasseh yet. And of course, we know the record of God's word that David is eventually victorious there and that the kingdom is eventually united under his rule. But at the beginning part, when David is writing and praying this, it has not been done yet. And so David is confident in what God has said will come to pass. David's confidence then is not suspended in midair. I was writing this sermon. That was one of my favorite lines in writing the sermon. David's confidence is not suspended in midair. David has been promised the land of the patriarchs. And so David's confidence is God will complete what he promised. God will do what he said he would do. We've said this over and over here at First Baptist. God is good for his word. There are not very many people you can take their word for it. 
Imagine walking into your office tomorrow and your boss going, listen, I know I owe you, I know I owe you two weeks of work, but just take my word for it. I'll, I'll double up next month. Just keep on working. You may, you may go, oh, okay, you're a good guy, and I've worked for you for 30 years or so. I mean, I believe you. Okay, that's, that's fine. But if next month comes, he goes, ah, it's, it's difficult again. I mean, he's all, oh, I, can't, I can't seem to make ends meet. But listen, just, just work another month. I, I, I promise I'll make it up to you. I, I'm good for it. Just give me another 30 days. You might even do that for another 30 days. Man, but if that third month came and he said, ah, I know, I know I owe you three paychecks, but uh, man, we're just, we're there again. It's the holiday seasons and man, utility bills are high and you know, I'm mean, trying to get stuff for the wife and kids. And I mean, look, I got a brand new Lexus out there, but, but listen, I'm good for my word. I'll, I'll definitely pay you eventually. How many of you are going to look for a new job right away, right? There aren't very many people in our world who are good for their word. God is good for his word. That's what David is saying. God hath, God hath spoken in his holiness. This is what will take place in these regions. In these areas where David is currently going through a battle. And sometimes we read the Bible and we just get right through 12 verses. And we're like, wow, that victory was fast for David. What's taking God so long for me? Do you think it seemed fast for David when he's sending Joab this way and he's going that way and they're battling this way and these people are complaining here and David's new king and now he's got... Do you think it was fast for him then? I doubt it. If God has declared that something will come to pass, he is no fool who counts on God's word. There's a helpful rescue. Verse number, verse number 12, last one. I told you already, verse number 12, I thought was the key verse to the entire chapter. So David says, verse number nine, who will bring me into the strong city, who will lead me into Edom. David's saying, who's going to give us that victory? Who's going to walk us into that strongly protected city? He's speaking there in military terms. Edom would have been a, 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 a well-fortified city with a narrow pass that you had to round up to get to the top of it. Actually, the rock of Petra, you would have to round up to get to Petra. And there, there would be the city of Edom. And David is saying, who in the world could take on a city like that? Look how strong they are. Wilt not thou, O God? O God, which, which did not go out. God, would you, would you go with us now? You cast us off. Would you pick us back up? You didn't go out with us before. Would you go out with us this time? Verse 11, and would you give us help from trouble? For vain is the help of man. And how many ladies in the room can testify to that verse right there, right? Vain is the help of man. You just can't get a good man to help you anymore, right? Now David is, David is speaking, David is speaking spiritual terms. And clearly the help of man is good. Clearly it's great to have men like Joab in your army. And David is saying, the help of God compared to the help of man, I'll take the help of God. Why? Why is the help of God better than the help of a man? Well, look at verse 12. Because through God we shall do valiantly. For he it is that shall, dread, that shall tread down our enemies. David had the right disposition. What was David's disposition? They would succeed through God. How would they succeed? Through God. David is attributed as having a great military mind, of being a brilliant 
military strategist. But David here doesn't say, man, through great military strategy, we did some awesome things. But David says, through God, we do valiantly, he says. David has the right disposition, but David also has the right dedication. Look at the, look at the phrase, we shall do valiantly. There's, there's strong confidence that God will do everything that God said he would do. But David is not passive about the promise of God. David is active in going after the promise of God. And this is an important lesson to learn. That while God is good for his word, God's word should not lead us to passivity. Well, God said he would let us win, so I'm just going to sit here and watch him eat. Anybody got any popcorn? No, David is, David is confident in the promise of God. Through God, we'll be victorious, but also through God, we will do valiantly. He's saying we will get to work ourselves. David is saying the same thing Paul said. We work out what God works in. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And David is saying the same thing. Through God we'll be victorious, but through God we will go and do valiantly. Confidence in God does not lead you and me to just become couch potatoes. This happens sometimes. Pastor, I'm looking for a job. Oh, really? How many applications have you put in? None. Well, I don't think you're going to find a job. I'm just believing God will do it. Well, what, well, what have you been doing for the last three weeks? Laying on my couch, catching up on soap operas, right? No, 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 no. David is confident in the promise of God, but our confidence in God does not lead us to be passive. Our confidence in God leads us to be active in the work that we know God will do. God is doing a work and he invites you and he invites me in on it. God's going to do what he wants to do. We just get to be a part of it. And unless we think too highly of ourselves, God occasionally uses donkeys. God will use anyone who's just willing to be used. No, oh, I'm not as smart, and I don't know as much, and I don't, can't. No, God will use anyone who's willing to be used. This is David is saying in verse 12, Through God we shall do valiantly. Look at the last one. For he it is that shall tread down our enemies. David has the right disposition. David has the right dedication. And David has the right commitments. David has the right commitments. Look at, look at those words, we are. He's speaking in terms of what God will do corporately for Israel. What God will do corporately for Israel. All of this is what God had done corporately in Israel, and now he's confident that God will return this. The Christian life is how we started. A Christian life is not a constant stream of successes, but there are challenges along the way. One step forward, two steps back. Three steps forward, two steps back. And yet the promise from God is be faithful in a little, nor make you ruler over much. 
What does this mean for us? That as we move forward for God, man, our confidence should remain in God. We should remain active for the work of God. Hey, and we should remain committed to the word of God. This is what it means for you and for me. Oh, what a great lesson from Psalm 60. Probably not a psalm that you'd spent much time thinking about before, but a very, very good and truthful and needed psalm for us.